0: Good morning, New Life Church, and to all of our friends joining us from around the world. We are grateful that you could join us on this Lord's Day for us here in the Gulf. Also, a special mention to our friend in um, Dubai, Haitham, happy birthday. I hope that you have a blessed day today, and we pray for you, and we miss you, and we remember you. Um, this last week, we began our study in the book of Acts. And today we continue on the second the, the, the second message. But the subtitle of this sermon series is The Gospel in Motion. So really the book of Acts is a, thriller, a thrilling and a challenging book because it's the account of real people taking seriously the command of our Jesus to win others to Christ. And we saw last week that the Lord in His mercy from the very start in Acts chapter 1 has provided all of the, the the resources and all the necessary tools that we need, that the church needs to accomplish this very important task of fulfilling the Great Commission. Well, let's read this morning. Today we look at Acts chapter 1, 12 to 26, and the title of my message is The Good, the Bad, and the Obedient. So Let's read the whole passage just to help us with... Context. In verse 1. We don't have verse (laughs) 1. No? No. Do we have verse 1? Okay. Well, let's read from verse 12 then. Sorry. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they had entered, went up to the upper room, where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, praying with the woman, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons was in all about 120, and said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man bought a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out, and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So that the field was called in their own language, a keldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection and they put forward two joseph called barsabas who was also called justice and matthias and they prayed and said you lord who know the hearts of all show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which judas turned aside to go to his own place and they cast lots for them And the Lord fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Well, let's pray and ask for God's blessings on the preaching of his word this morning. Father, we thank you for all the details that you've given us in your word. And I pray, Lord, that we would not become um, tired of learning about these details that are here for us, for our instruction, for our admonition, for our training in righteousness, all your word is inspired not just the the great big stories but the the little details that you've given to us so father we pray you your spirit would help us see how these details are applicable for us this morning I pray for your help as I preach this passage Lord that you would grant us understanding that your spirit would apply this to our daily lives and that you would be honored and glorified by our response so Lord please We ask for your help and we pray for your your blessings now in jesus precious name we pray amen so the passage that we studied last week jesus reminded the disciples in verse 4 and 5 of the promise that he had made to them that they would be baptized in the holy spirit and then in verse 8 he told them that the holy spirit would give them power to fulfill the ministry of being a witness of Jesus Christ to the very ends of the earth and next week another exciting passage we study the passage when this baptism of the Spirit happens the day of Pentecost when the Spirit rests on them with fire and they end up speaking in tongues which are the, the languages that everybody gets to understand and they end up communicating the gospel of Jesus to to a multitude of nationalities that are there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost now, our passage this morning, sandwiched in between chapter 1 and chapter 2, is, is somewhat strange because before us is their account of when the apostles dealt with the elephant in the room, so to speak. And that elephant is Judas, the issue of Judas. And when first reading this, you, you might be tempted to think, why did Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, include this? detail here for us we have the promise of the spirit from jesus in in chapter one and we have the fulfillment of the promise in chapter two why concern us with this process they went through to replace judas why is this necessary why even bring this up well i believe there are really three incredible lessons that we can learn from this passage this morning in the first lesson we see from verse 12 to verse 14 is waiting and praying waiting and praying so let me read verse 12 again when they returned to jerusalem from the mount called olivet which is near jerusalem a sabbath day journey away and when they had entered they went up to the upper room where they were staying peter and john and james and andrew philip and thomas bartholomew and matthew james the son of alphas and simon the zealot and judas the son of james all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the woman and mary the mother of jesus and his brothers so here we see the apostles and the mother of jesus and his brothers praying we see them praying And I think this is significant, and I think this is put here for us to see if God is going to build his church. Remember, this is the beginning of the New Testament church, the very beginnings. We want to know how it started, we want to know all the details. The first detail that the Lord puts in here for us is that if he's going to build his church, it's going to be built on prayer. It's going to be built on prayer. He intends to build his church by pouring out his spirit on the day of pentecost and they will pray and this is going to happen not many days from now but god is putting them in a place where they are crying out for this they are asking for this even though god has promised this as we saw last week they are now praying for it they are now asking the lord for this so you may ask at this time Why would they pray for something that Jesus has already promised? Why don't they just wait? Why don't they just expect it? Well, if He promised it, isn't it going to happen anyway? Yes, of course it will. But Scripture is very clear that we need to pray for the things that God has promised. We need to be dependent. We need to be expectant. We need to be waiting and trusting. We need to be hopeful. And that is why we pray. When we pray it, it really is a way for us to show our dependence upon the Lord. And we see this in the Lord's Prayer, the famous Lord's Prayer. There's really no question about it. He's told us here that His kingdom is going to come. But at the same time, He has told us to pray. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus instructs us to pray for these things. So the disciples of Jesus are here waiting and praying and while they're waiting verse 14 tells us they're devoting themselves to prayer very significant what were they praying for well we're not told specifically they may have been praising God for the times that they had experienced with Jesus after his resurrection that must have been a really intimate and close and wonderful time they may have just been praising God for that they may have been praising Or praying asking God for wisdom to carry out this amazing task of fulfilling the Great Commission that Jesus had given to them and they may have even been praying for the gift of the Holy Spirit just as Jesus had promised but they were waiting on the Lord and they were praying at the same time and I think if you're honest waiting on the Lord is one of the the hardest things that we have to do as Christians God has promised, why don't we just go ahead and, and do what we need to do? Why, why doesn't God hurry up? Why doesn't He just, just tell, uh, do what He's told us now, today, at this time? No, life is short enough. Why do we have to wait? Why can't we even see? Maybe we won't even see. Why do we have to wait? But so often the Lord says, wait. So often we need to learn to obey Him. And the apostle's obedience here shows us, That they were not self-willed men trying to impose their will above God's will. They were waiting. They were patiently waiting, knowing that God's time is best. God had just spoken about timing earlier on in the passage. They knew if they were going to build their own kingdom, it would fall. They needed to trust and wait for God's kingdom to come in His timing and to pray for it. I think there's a wonderful lesson here about prayer shows our dependence on the Lord and it also shows our submission to him and God intends for all of us to to pray together he intends for all of us to, to gather together for prayer for these very blessings which he intends to give us like the apostles here we need to join together in prayer we have prayer meetings every um, day of the week almost on um, over zoom at the moment Are we making use of these prayer meetings are we joining together and praying asking god to build his kingdom asking god for his blessings upon us are we praying or are we just expecting him are we praying philippians 1 verse 27 paul writes into the church he says strive together for the faith of the gospel i don't think you can strive together for the faith of the gospel if you're not praying together if you're not praying for the gospel to prosper if you're not praying for the gospel to be effective if you're not praying that the lord would help us with the tools that he's given us to be effective witnesses are we praying together as a church god's promises should motivate us to be persistent in prayer even though we may not see the results in our lifetime god's promises should motivate us to pray and persist in prayer until they are a reality Because we know that he will fulfill his word as we have seen countless times before secondly we see in verse 15 to verse 20 another valuable lesson is that as obedient prayerful Christians we need to also be following the scripture we need to be following the scripture we see this in verse 15 in those days Peter stood up among the brothers the company of persons was in all about 120. That's not a big number, if you notice. There, 120 of them. That's that's almost the size of our church when we used to meet at the Emirates Park Zoo. Not a big number, but notice this is the church that changed the world. This is the size of the church that God used to reach the nations. Look at the amount here, 120. Verse 16. Peter says, "Brothers, the Scripture." "...had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas." The mouth of David, this has to be a psalm, right? He's referring to an Old Testament prophecy here. "...which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus." Verse 17. "...for he was numbered among us, and was allotted his share in this ministry." Now this man, talking about Judas, acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all of his bowels gushed out. This is talking about his suicide, when Judas committed suicide. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, a keldamah, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms. Another reference here to the fulfillment of scriptures. May his camp become desolate. And let there be no one to dwell in it. And let another take his office. Well we see in verse 14 they are devoted to prayer. They were expectant in prayer. And while they're praying. Peter stands up. He takes leadership. And here in verse 16. He says with, 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 with trust and and confidence notice there he says brothers the scriptures have to be fulfilled the scriptures have to be fulfilled what is on his mind here what is on his mind is being obedient to the scriptures and i love the fact that it's peter here speaking these are the words of of peter the same peter who told jesus no 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 you're not going to die if you die it's going to ruin everything Surely your, your dying is not in God's plan. Remember how he doubted Jesus. And Peter had not only been attending prayer meetings, something wonderful has changed here. Peter has been spending a lot of time in God's Word. During these 10 days after Jesus' ascension and before Pentecost, we see the disciples. Are pouring over scripture they are studying scripture reading scripture seeking to understand in more depth the things that Jesus had Explained to them. I also think that Judas's Suicide had been very difficult for the disciples to understand So they turn to scripture They turn to scripture. How could a man chosen by Christ for such a high Position, such a privileged position turn against him. And they turn to scripture for these answers. Had Jesus made a mistake by choosing Judas? Why would God let such a terrible thing happen? And Peter and the other apostles found the, the help with these difficult questions by going to God's word. And look at the answers that we see in the rest of the passage. Peter is quoting scripture from psalm 69 and 109 and he's telling the apostles there he's telling the 120 there why judas had defected and why his position needs to be filled by someone else and he quotes these two psalms and he says there is a a necessity upon us now because of what scripture has already foretold scripture has prophesied this scripture had spoken about the death of Judas and one gets the impression here that Peter and and he's been remember spending these days and especially since the death death of Judas he's been spending the time in the word and especially in the Psalms but remember Peter wouldn't have a Bible like like we have today he wouldn't have had a, a bound Bible a finished canon we call this the canon of scripture but he would have had the psalms. He would have had scrolls that contained the psalms, portions of the scripture that we have today. Remember, the psalms were used in Old Testament liturgy in their in their worship, and and therefore the psalms were portions of scriptures which the disciples would have had available to them. They, they would have known them extremely well. And Peter is spending a lot of time reading the Bible, and there's an overwhelming sense here in which Peter comes to the conclusion. Not only is it a divine necessity, but whatever the scriptures teach, he says, we must do. We must do. and We are bound now to do what the scripture has told us to do. And he realizes if we don't do this, the beginnings of this New Testament church are going to be on shaky grounds. This is the beginning of the New Testament church and they need to do everything according to. To God's will to God's plan and I think here's a little glimpse that a little a little glimpse that we see of the mindset of the early church they were prayerful they were in the word and whatever it was they discovered in the word they were determined to to do they were determined to implement and the point is that the Apostles were men of the word and they were appealing to the word to explain the difficulty of Judas's death and, and his suicide. And of the need to replace him with another credible witness. And they teach us that we should go to God's word with all of the difficulties that we encounter. And if we don't, we will end up in trouble. We will end up in destruction. We will end up with much pain. a story I read this week which I think accurately illustrates this. In 1999 John F Kennedy Jr. he flew his small airplane from New York City to his family home in Massachusetts for a wedding but on board were his wife Carolyn and her sister and though Kennedy was a licensed pilot he had not yet been approved for instrument flight using instruments to navigate. And when the takeoff was delayed until after dark, Kennedy should have waited for daylight or sought a more experienced pilot to help out. Yet Kennedy took off into the darkness and the plane never reached its destination. And all three passengers were killed in the crash. Investigators determined that the crash was likely caused by disorientation from flying over open water at night without any landmarks or visible horizon. Kennedy's lack of experience May well have led him to trust what he thought he was seeing more than what his instrument panel was telling him And all of us i think face this temptation to to walk according to sight instead of faith and faith in god will really keep us from crashing and, and human reason will always fail us at times but god never fails his word will never perish His word keeps us on the right course as long as we obey it and the disciples knew this Peter understood this and the need to be in the word trusting the word and looking to the word for the solutions to their problems and we see the story unfolding my third point we see in verse 21 to verse 26 we see that the apostles trusted God's sovereignty They trusted God's sovereignty. Look at verse 21. Some of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So they're talking about now the requirements necessary for someone to fulfill the office of Judas. The the office of an apostle. Verse 23. And they put forward two names, Joseph called Barcibus, who was also called Justus, and then Matthias. And they prayed, and they said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Peter tells us in verse 20 that Judas was the one who fulfilled that prophecy. And then says at the end of verse, let another take his office. Well, we see now what they are doing. They're trying to find a replacement for Judas. But the method here is important. We see the method here. Maybe a little strange to us, but we'll see the explanation as we go through here. But Peter carries out the selection of the next disciple. In verse 20 and 21 and verse 22, he gives the requirements for the one who has to fill this bill. Number one, we see he had to be with Jesus from the baptism of John to the ascension. Now, this is important for us to see. And I haven't put this in my notes, but I think we, we really need to understand that these are the requirements for an apostle. There are many people today who call themselves apostles. And they don't fulfill the requirements here are the requirements of an apostle number one he had to have been with jesus from the very baptism of john to the ascension well i think that rules out everybody today who calls themselves an apostle this was a unique office for these people in this time he had to have been one who was around for the whole period of jesus ministry. Number 2. He had to be a witness of the glorified resurrected Christ. We see at the end of verse 22, a witness with us of the resurrection. Again, I think that cancels out everybody today who calls himself an apostle. This was for the disciples at this point in this time. So whoever was going to take over this position that Jesus that that Judas had had forsaken was to be one who had been around from the baptism of Jesus Christ until the ascension. So we see the first two qualifications, the life of Christ and seeing his resurrection. But the third qualification is in verse 23. He had to have been chosen by God. He had to have been chosen by God. Verse 23, they appointed two. And here are two, Joseph called Barsabas, and his surname was Justus. And then Matthias, Matthias. The third qualification had to be someone who was chosen by God. Verse 24 says, "They prayed," talking about everybody praying. The 120 of them that were there, they prayed, and they said, "You Lord, who who know the hearts of men." show which of these two you have chosen so i mean jesus chose the first 11 but now he's going to choose the the 12th and who's it going to be we see in verse 25 that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which judas by transgression fell and then this uh, the the statement that he might go to his own place that he may go to his own place That's a shocking statement. Of course, it's talking about hell. It's talking about Judas. People have asked me before, did Judas lose his salvation? Was he always a Christian? And then he betrayed Jesus and committed suicide. And because he committed suicide, he went to hell, to to this place that the Bible is talking about. I don't believe Judas was ever a Christian. The Bible tells us that nothing would ever separate us from the love of God. That's a promise from Scripture. Judas never was a Christian in the first place. He was an impersonator. He was there for the wrong reasons. And we have many of those in the church today, folks. Everything that wears a cross is not Christian. Everything that is gold, everything that glitters is not always gold. Everybody that comes to church is not always a a Christian. Judas was playing the part. He was wearing the same clothes. He was... Talking the talk, but he had never put his faith and his trust in Jesus as the Messiah. Judas was not a a Christian. He was an unbeliever and he died an unbeliever. And because of that, because of this terrible betrayal that we see in the the Gospels, there is a place that is reserved for him. This place is hell. Hell is the place where people belong, go. (laughs) Go. hell is a place where people belong go they go there because it's their place it's a place where where they belong now did you know that that death doesn't change anything it only really crystallizes this permanency who you are in in this life and by your own choice death becomes the securing of your own place it's the door to where you belong when judas went to hell it wasn't it wasn't out of the ordinary many other people have gone to hell he went to the place where he belonged well that's where he chose to go that's where he chose to go he went to his own place it's a fearful statement it's a terrifying statement every person in this world has a place to go every person in this world has a place in eternity that is his own by how he responds to the lord jesus christ it says in verse 26 they gave forth their lots and the lot fell on matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles matthias was he was chosen And I don't know why, we don't know a lot about Matthias, Um, but I know that he is chosen, that God chose him. And that really should be enough for for all of us, right? Matthias was chosen, he was accepted as one of God's chosen men. But the method here, I think, may be a little confusing for, for, for some people. We see here that they drew lots to choose Matthias. And some people will say oh wow they were gambling how can they gamble this is the apostles how, this is the the leaders of the first new testament church how can they be gambling well this this is not gambling there wasn't money involved there was no betting going on here you see god in the old testament had built this kind of of thing of his will being exercised through very physical manifestations sometimes god would talk right out of heaven directly sometimes god would talk through the mouth of prophets we know that god at one point talked through the mouth of a of a donkey there were different ways but one of the ways that god had of exercising his will or expressing his will was through the the drawing of lots Um, we today would call it the drawing of straws or um, something else but whatever the way there were there were many ways of god expressing his will and here god had chosen lots god had chosen lots and you need to understand this was the last act of the old testament era we don't see this happening anywhere in the new testament and i believe that's because more scripture now became available to the the church we'll never hear it again And throughout the New Testament, because we have now direction from the indwelling Holy Spirit who leads us now into what? Into truth, into all truth. But in this age, in the Old Testament, and without the indwelling Spirit, God moved in very practical and physical ways to reveal His will. And we see here that now they are drawing lots. God could use this and he did use this well you may ask how how do we know that they didn't make a mistake well because God was dealing with this problem God was handling this problem they prayed and the Bible says it was God who chose through the selection of lots it wasn't in God the scriptures tell us God did this um I, I think there's a There's a great verse that might help you understand this in Proverbs chapter 16 that defines this for us. Proverbs 16 verse 33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Do you see that? The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. The Lord is controlling the situation. The Lord is controlling the situation. The Lord is is sovereign he's in control of the tiniest details just the smallest little details one preacher said once that either god is sovereign of all or he's not sovereign at all god was sovereign over these lots and they trusted in the sovereignty of god so we see these very three important lessons for us here in the selection of this new apostle we see that they were devoted to prayer we see that they were devoted to the word but we also see that they trusted in the sovereignty of god now as we conclude i want to finish with a few more applications for us remember these were the days of the the birth of the new testament church This was the time that paul speaks of in galatians as the the abcs of the the church before the holy spirit was poured out on the day of pentecost before the full and complete canon of scripture talking about the the 66 books had been given to the the church and in this process god reveals his mind god reveals his his will and they were able to do this because as luke has already told us they were of one mind there was unity amongst them they were of one accord in one accord and the secret it seems to me of the strength of the the early church at this point the secret of the strength was their unity was the the unity the unity in the spirit the unity in each other nothing satan knew their strength and was doing everything that he could to break a crack into this new testament church satan was attempting to destroy the very thing that christ was building do you remember what peter would later say in his letter when he writes his epistle remember he said in first peter chapter 5 verse 8 be sober-minded be watchful your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour this is the same peter talking who wrote this in his letter satan is seeking to devour and he says to the church resist him peter's using the plural in other words the the church at this point is 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 a united band they are united people of of the lord but satan will attempt to destroy the church and we'll see this right through the the rest of the story in the book of of acts but i think luke wants us to see here is that it is jesus who is building his church and the way it is built is according to his will not our will and by the power of the holy spirit which will come not many days from now ten days or less and he intends for the church to do what peter has been doing here studying the word ransacking the word of god and, and coming in his presence and and praying and the people gathering and praying for god's guidance and whatever it is whatever the bible tells us to do peter says that we must do whatever the bible says however the bible says that we must do no matter how insignificant No matter how small it may appear, that we must do. Friends, I think if we could learn just that lesson this morning. If we were a people who could learn this lesson, whatever the Bible says, that we will do. We will have learnt a lesson that will make the knees of Satan himself buckle. And as my prayer as we go through the rest of the book of acts that god will help us to learn this very important truth whatever god says that we must do father thank you for your word this morning thank you for these, what seem to us like small insignificant details but really how important they are to the bigger picture as we see you building your church Lord, we ask that you would help us as a people to be faithful and obedient to your word that we see here we will be praying people that are praying for your will not for our will and lord i think especially as we go into this next season and we pray lord that your will be done according to this this new church governance that we are praying about lord that we are studying even as we do the questions and answers at a later point that our intention and our heart motives would be to do whatever your will is lord whatever it is the Bible says that we will do and that you will guide us and lead us in the path that you have for us as a church and that we will be fulfilling your will that we will be performing your will Lord not just sitting back and watching others Lord, but that we would be intentionally involved in doing whatever it is that you want us to do whatever the Bible says Lord may we be doers of your word not just the hearers I beg you Lord please help us as a church to see the need to be doers. Not just people who are sitting on the sidelines with their popcorn and hot dogs watching the show. But that we will be faithful and we will be obedient to your will, Lord Jesus. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.